rivalry week in, week in college football is um, always the most, I think, uh, fun in the calendar because it brings about not only the end of the season, but it brings about uh, the biggest, most exciting rivalry games that, that fans, I think, are uh, most compelled by. But it does, again, coincide and dovetail into the college football playoff rankings. We examined the college football ranking system in our previous podcast. We encourage you to check that out if you hadn't had a chance. And to how things have evolved and why they've evolved and what needs to happen going forward if we're going to make it a better system. But we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the greatest rivalries in college football and kind of where it started, biggest moments. That is the topic on today's Landry Football Podcast, part of the Landry Football Podcast Network, which you can get by subscribing, liking, and sharing the Landry Football Podcast Network on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, a reminder that LandryFootball.com is where you can get the most detailed breakdowns of the game of football, college football, NFL, X's and O's, players, teams, coaches, schemes. We got it covered for you at LandryFootball.com. Check it out today. Rivalry week is always fun because it brings about an emotional attachment to the game that you think about all year round for most of the fan bases. So we thought we'd go into some of the games and kind of talk about some of them, how they started and what they mean, what, the, what their name. Um, and we're going to start, um, and I applaud the folks in Mississippi with the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, for having their game on Thanksgiving. It's given a national perspective to the Egg Bowl, which would have been completely lost to folks outside of Mississippi if it were played on the weekend, on Saturday. By having it on Thanksgiving, it's given it a bigger spotlight. Uh, there is question about whether we'll go back to the whole historical Texas-Texas A&M rivalry game on Thanksgiving, which, which I think is probably going to happen. The TV networks are going to make that happen, which could possibly move the Ole Miss-Mississippi State game back on Saturday. Um, it's called the Egg Bowl. You've had, in recent years, an Ole Miss receiver, Elijah Moore, dropping into the end zone, lifting his leg, pretending to urinate like the dog in the 19 Egg Bowl. He drew a 15-yard penalty. The Rebels missed an ensuing 35-yard extra point attempt, lost to the Bulldogs. Three days later, Ole Miss fired Matt Luke, their coach, which that precipitated the hiring of Lane Kiffin. Mississippi State coach Joe Moorhead was probably under more pressure coming into that game. There was a feeling, fair or not, that it was an odd fit in Starkville. <coughs> um, he famously said, this is my team, my school, my program. You will have to drag my Yankee ass out of here. A little more than a month later, Moorhead was fired. Four days after Mississippi State lost to Louisville in the Music City Bowl. There's no question um, that the hiring of Lane Kiffin urged that move on. No question about that. Um, he went 2-0 against Ole Miss as Mississippi State's head coach, which is normally what you would expect or what you the expectation is. The irony is that Moore's stunt was 
wasn't original. DJ Metcalf did it two years early in the end zone after catching his 63-yard touchdown pass and that 31-28 win over State. Three days later, Dan Mullen bolted for the Florida job. Um, it is uh, rivalries become intense in all year round. It was a Mississippi State sports writer that was doing some work, some investigation, research in former Ole Miss's coaches, Hugh Freeze's phone records uh, for a book that Robertson was writing. And he found a call associated with an advertisement for female escort services. It was Robertson who turned the findings over to an attorney, Thomas Morris, who was representing former Ole Miss coach Houston Nutt in a lawsuit against Ole Miss. Mars alerted the Ole Miss general counsel in an email about the call, and a week later, Freeze was out as the Ole Miss coach, despite beating Alabama in back-to-back seasons in 14 and 15 and guiding the Rebs to their first Sugar Bowl victory in 50 years. It was unfortunate for a lot of reasons. But the native son, Hugh Freeze, back in the SEC, and while I think he'll do a good job at Auburn, I don't think there was a better fit for Ole Miss than Hugh Freeze personally. But you have histories. You've got C.R. Duty Noble, who the baseball field at Mississippi State is named for, played four sports at Mississippi State, baseball, basketball, football played it for parts of the 1917 and 1919 seasons at Ole Miss. So um, he's got a close, had a close um, tie to both programs. Oregon, Oregon State's known as the Civil War. It's tough to beat the 98 game. Oregon, of course, was favored in the game. Nighttime setting in Corvallis, ripe for an upset, back and forth affair. Led to overtime when a failed fourth down try appeared to give Oregon State the victory. The fans rushed the field, surrounded the goalposts without noticing there was a flag thrown for pass interference. Security and team officials took more than 15 minutes to get all the fans on the field back to their seats. The Beavers then handed the ball off to Ken Simonton, who had 150 yards rushing on the ground and four touchdowns on the night. He pranced into the end zone for a winning 16-yard touchdown. The field was rushed. And the win not only gave the Beavs their first five-win season since 1971, it also set the stage for an 11-1 and and winning the conference in the 2000 season. We've had strange moments. That was one of them. In 2010, after the Ducks beat uh, the Beavers in Carvallis to advance to the BCS title game, a group of Oregon fans were seen holding up I hate your Ducks t-shirt that was on fire while they tried to light a celebratory cigar with it. The burning shirt soon ended up burning the turf and damaged the field. At the time, Oregon State's assistant athletic director said the entire logo at the midfield needed to be replaced and would cost over 5000 It was later determined that the damage was closer to 1500 Police found cigar wrappers on the field and eventually were able to catch the Oregon student via a, student via a photo. Uh, in a newspaper, in a YouTube video. Um, strange things happen in big games like that. Oregon, Oregon State has a lot 
of influence in that both are really good teams this year. And Oregon State's capable of beating Oregon. Oregon is seemingly headed towards the playoffs with a win. I think the best rivalries um, can be defined by a few things. But one, the other team, the other school, both schools, I should say, have to consider the other school their biggest rival. And while Oregon, Oregon State's huge, it's certainly the biggest in the state of Oregon. I think many would say Washington's biggest rival Excuse me, Oregon's biggest rival is Washington. It's debatable. The fact that you're debating it is proof that it's not the greatest rival. Ohio State, Michigan is each other's biggest rival. Without question. The game. It usually comes with a Big Ten title and a trip to the Rose Bowl historically. Now, it usually comes with a path towards the playoffs. You've had great moments. Desmond Howard striking the pose. Charles Woodson and David Boston going after each other in 1997. The 1950 snowball, that game that featured 45 points, 9-3 Michigan win. The controversy on whether J.T. Barrett got a first down in the 16 game. But one of the wildest moments came in 1973 when Ohio State ran onto the field to a roar of bulls and ran straight towards Michigan's gold blue banner, that the Wolverines jump and touch before every home game. The Buckeyes jumped up, grabbed the banner, tore it down in the middle of the field, which caused the Bulls to reach a crescendo. The incident led to former Michigan players defending the banner in 77, which caused an incident of its own. As Ohio State players ran under the banner, the Michigan alumni stood in the middle of the lane while body checking and pushing Buckeye players as they ran through. The incident caused Michigan announcer Bob Eufer to exclaim, oh, brother, are you and I in for 60 minutes of football? Strangest moment probably could have served as the wildest on the field moment, but it technically happened off the field. A dust-up occurred in 13 when Ohio State offensive lineman Marcus Hall was ejected. He stormed the sidelines, threw his helmet to the ground, kicked the bench, left the field as he made his way into the tunnel. He extended both arms and flipped off the Michigan fans as he exited. That moment went viral. And T-shirts were even made with the silhouette of Hall flipping the double bird. Quote that defines the rivalry. I can assure you that you will be proud of our young people in the classroom, the community, and most importantly, in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's what the new, at that time, Ohio State coach Jim Trussell said at a basketball game after being hired to replace John Cooper, who went 2-10-1 against Michigan. Jim, a very successful coach at Youngstown State, knew how important it was. The Governor's Cup is Kentucky and Louisville. I know Louisville was a massive four-point touchdown favorite in the 2016 game with Lamar Jackson leading away, but the card season had already begun to fall apart uh, when Jackson was bludgeoned by Ed Oliver in the Houston defensive front against Kentucky. Jackson struggled bad through three interceptions. Still, Louisville had a shot to win. With a first and goal tied at 38 with 145 to go, instead Jackson was hit in the backfield and fumbled. Kentucky recovered. Drove 60 yards on seven plays. Kicked the game-winning field goal to hand the Wildcats their first Governor's Cup since 2010. 
Louisville was looking for revenge in 17 after Kentucky pulled the massive upset the year before, and Jackson was the catalyst. The emotions were high from the contest. Jackson scored in the first quarter. A skirmish broke out in the sideline. Jackson got into it, got into it with uh, Kentucky's Jordan Jones, but it was the Wildcats linebacker Denzel Ware who stole the show by picking up a plastic trash can and attacking a Louisville player with it. Although the two schools initially played in 1912, the rivalry went dark from 24 into 94. When it kicked off again, Louisville was considered an upstart program, while Kentucky was already battling a difficult SEC East. Bill Curry, the former Kentucky coach, summed up the general feeling for the Wildcats who saw the game as an obstacle while Louisville saw an opportunity to add another stem winder, another gut check game. Not just smart scheduling on our part, whereas for Louisville is a great thing. You've had some other games that are not really big rivals, but now they play at the end of the year. This will change. Texas A&M LSU has not been a traditional rival. The biggest LSU Ole Miss used to be a big rival in the 50s. Both programs were elite. But again, Ole Miss has Mississippi State at the end of the year. LSU's never quite had that. They ended the season with Tulane for years. That was LSU's regional rival. That was their rivalry week game back in the old days. They don't play anymore. And it's left LSU without a home. So they played Kentucky at the end of the year for years. Now it's Arkansas. Excuse me, they played Arkansas at the end of the year. Now Arkansas and Missouri play at the end of the year. So LSU's got AM at the end of the year. Well, that's going to change because AM and Texas are going to play at the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> and so on it goes. But there have been some strain instances, um, including more recently the 74 72 epic seven overtime game in 18. You've had some off the field situations. The Iron Bowl, Auburn, Alabama. Going back in history. Maybe the biggest rival for Alabama was Tennessee during the Bear Bryant days. But Auburn-Alabama, the Iron Bowl, is the wildest at the end of the year rivalry-type game without question. The biggest moment, the wildest moment, was the kick six. Adam Griffith's kick fell short. Chris Davis caught the ball in the back of the end zone. You know what happened. Auburn won the game. Stormed the field. Alabama was stunned. Auburn went on and win the SEC championship game and the BCS title game. Alabama was headed for a 3 P. There you go when you have a great rivalry, when it not only meets the measure of importance for the teams playing in that game, but it has some national significance, some playoff implication. From 1904 to 1988, every Iron Bowl was played in Birmingham, which is only an hour's drive from the University of Alabama, but twice as far from Auburn. Pat Dye took over in 81, said he wanted to change that. Bear Bryant said he never agreed to it as long as he was still coaching. He says, well, you're going to be coaching forever. One of the nastiest rivals that you may not be familiar with is Arizona, Arizona State, the Territorial Cup. 
I know in 1986, Arizona State had locked up a berth in the Rose Bowl. It traveled to Tucson in 86, and the only blemish on his record was a tie down 24-10 late in the third quarter. The Sun Devils were driving with a chance to make it a one-score game. On third and goal, Chuck Cecil stepped in front of a Jeff Van Rappar's pass six yards deep in the end zone, returned it for a touchdown that sealed a famous win for Arizona and perhaps most importantly prevented Arizona State from finishing undefeated. For Arizona, Cecil's interception return stands as one of the more iconic moments in program history. The Territorial Cup is the oldest rivalry in college football dating back to 1899. And I don't know that you can talk about rivals where they hate one another. This is up, up there. The Commonwealth Cup is Virginia Tech, Virginia. Um, I know in 95, Virginia held a commanding 29-14 lead entering the fourth quarter in the installment of the Commonwealth Cup. Jim Druckenmiller led the Hokies storming back, taking a one-point lead with 47, 47 seconds to play. Virginia's final comeback attempt was thwarted with Virginia Tech's Antonio Bank picked off a pass and returned it for a score. But what most remember for that play is Virginia trainer Joe Gick sticking his foot out in an attempt to trip Banks as the Hokies defender raced down the Cavanaugh sideline. Geck insisted the incident was a joke and they never came close to tripping and I've seen too many people break a tibia doing that in soccer. These days, Virginia Tech players expect wins against their Chiefs rival, but at the turn of the 20th century, things were different. Hence the story and long career of Hunter Carpenter, a future Hall of Fame halfback who played for the Hokies from, 89, from 1899 through 1903. In 1899, Carpenter's team was demolished by Virginia and he vowed revenge. Unfortunately for Carpenter, he lost again in 1900, in 1901, in 1902, and 1903. Inexplicably, Carpenter then enrolled at North Carolina, a far better football program at the time, in hopes that he finally might beat Virginia in 1904. He lost again. In 1905, Carpenter returned to Virginia Tech, his eighth year playing college football, and faced allegations by a Virginia newspaper, the Cavalier Daily, that was being paid. He was forced to sign an affidavit denying it and finally got his win. The outcome of the game became so contentious that the Virginia Cavs refused to play the Hokies again until 1923. <laughs> <clears throat> I know in 1989, Frank Beamer was dealing with some heart issues, which raised alarms when he collapsed on the sidelines during the Hokies game with Virginia that year. It turns out that Beamer had actually been on the receiving end of an air and elbow during a tackle attempt. So I got this heart issue going. Beamer said, I got a tooth knocked out and we lost the game. No doubt the score was the one that bothered Beamer the most in that game. The Apple Cup, Washington State, Washington's a great one. When an individual game within a rivalry is branded with his own name, it's a good indicator that something unique took place. For the Apple Cup, the snowball is that game. After climbing to number 13 in the AP pool a few weeks earlier, Washington State had lost three of four and entered the 92 Apple Cup at home against a number five Washington. The Huskies had been ranked number one until a loss to number 12 Arizona two weeks prior. Had already locked up a trip to the Rose Bowl. It began 
just know the morning of the game, and it really started to come down after kickoff. <clears throat> At halftime, Washington, led by Mark Brunel, 7-6 at halftime, leaning. Neither team could find any sort of offensive rhythm. In blizzard-like conditions in the second half, everything changed. Washington State's quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, caught fire. Led the Cougars to 29 third-quarter points, including one of the more iconic plays in Washington State in Apple Cup history, a 44-yard touchdown pass to Philip Bobo, who slid into a snowbank underneath the goalposts after making the catch. Like many of these rivalries, I have been to every one of them. I was at this particular Washington State-Washington game. Florida State-Florida, the Sunshine Showdown. It's hard to choose between the choke and the doke in 94, the Sugar Bowl in 97, when Florida won the national championship of Florida upsetting number one Florida State 32-29 by rotating quarterbacks in the 1997. Or Doug Johnson throwing a football near Bobby Bowden's head during the pregame brawl in 98. Or a postgame fight between the teams in 2003 when Florida State started stomping on the logo at midfield. Lots of hate. Spurrier never did beat Florida State in Tallahassee, by the way. After losing to the Seminoles in the 96 regular season, Spurrier and the Gators exacted revenge. <clears throat> Perhaps the most contentious when Spurrier accused Florida State Bobby Bowden of trying to deliberately take out Danny Werfel. Um, no love loss. Clean old-fashioned hate is what they call Georgia Georgia Tech. In 1999, in Atlanta, the score was tied 48 with 13 seconds to go. Georgia had the ball at the Tech two-yard line first and goal. Instead of kicking the field goal to potentially win the game, Georgia coach Jim John and elected to go for a touchdown. Jasper Sanks took a handoff, dove for the goal line, and depending on which side you're on, either fumble or was down before losing the ball. TV replay showed Sanks was down, but it was before the introduction of instant replay. So the only thing that matters was the official on the field that ruled Sanks fumbled the ball and Georgia Tech took possession on the one-yard line. The game went into overtime, and Tech's Luke Magic kicked the field goal to give the Yellow Jackets a controversial 51-48 win the next week. Then SEC commissioner suspended referee Al Ford and his six-man crew from working the SEC championship game. <laughs> the Bulldogs and the Yellow Jackets don't agree on much about anything, including an all-time series record. Georgia says it's 68-39-5, and while the Yellow Jackets claim 49 victories. The dispute lies in games played during World War II in 43 and 44, during which Georgia Tech won by a combined score of 92-0. Many of the Bulldogs' best players from the 42 National Championship team enlisted in the war, so there wasn't a single returning starter. In fact, most of Georgia's players weren't at the age of 18 and weren't eligible for the military draft. Conversely, Georgia Tech benefited from having an on-campus Navy B-12 program from which it was able to recruit football players as well as the Navy Flight School, which attracted players from other schools. Georgia still distinguishes the disputed games in its media guide with an asterisk. Clemson, South Carolina is another one called the Palmetto Bowl. Second largest continually played rivalry. It ended at 111 games last year. Thanks, COVID-19. <coughs> it was uh, the year it stopped a couple of years ago. 
92. Steve Tannehill, the ponytail-wearing, cocky Steve Tannehill, took over a South Carolina team that started the season 0-5 and led the Gamecocks to four wins and five starts, including a 24-13 victory over the Tigers. Tannehill threw for 300 yards in the cold rain, stood on the bench, taunted the orange crowd, swung an imaginary baseball bat that's carried off the field by jubilant Fans and most notably ran to Death Valley's midfield and acting if he was signing an autograph atop the sacred Tiger Paw. A poster of that moment is still on display, display in sports bars and man caves from Char- uh, Charleston to Greenville. 1961, Clemson took the field in Columbia and started their pregame warm-ups, but they were the weirdest warm-ups ever, including dancing and stumbling and dropping passes. They even convinced the Clemson band to play Tiger Rag, but when the real Tigers jogged out, confused and then angry, the crowd realized that the team they'd been watching was instead members of the South Carolina Sigma Nu Fraternity. (laughs) Um, North Carolina, North Carolina State. The Carolina State is what they call that game has never been as big of a deal as it should be, at least not nationally. When these two squads met as ranked teams one year ago, it was only the third time in 110 meetings that both teams were in the AP Top 25. But forget that neither one of these tobacco road anchors have been as good at football as they should be. Um, the 2004 edition of the game in Chapel Hill and the home crowd was left heartbroken when Wolfpack tailback T.A. McClendon rumbled into the end zone for a game-tying touchdown in the closing seconds. With the would-be game-winning PAT forthcoming, as one goal-line official signaled touchdown, another ran in. McClendon's knee had hit the turf before the ball crossed the goal line on the next play. McClendon ran it in again, this time going airborne. Uh, you, North Carolina's Khalif Mitchell blasted the ball from McClendon's grasp. The game ended with the Tar Heel fumble recovery and a 30-24 win. After the 1905 game ended, the 0-0 score, the third straight tie of the rivalry, NC State's football team received the congratulatory telegram from Trinity College, a little school in nearby Durham. He had yet to start a football program. In 1925, Trinity changed its name to Duke. You might not hear a lot about this game around the country, and that's fine. But if you walk into a bar anywhere in the state of North Carolina, it's pretty big. There are others I've been fortunate to attend. Lafayette and Lehigh, Harvard, Yale, which both were played last week. Rivalry week is not always played on the last weekend of the season. These usually are. But there are others, as I mentioned, Harvard, Yale. And Lafayette Lehigh, they finished their seasons last week. It's what makes it unique. I have been blessed in my scouting career to have attended all of the games that I mentioned to you and several others. That makes the sport great. And while I'm taking a torch to college football's administrative faux pas, how we put together a playoff ranking system to how we lack cohesion in transfer portals and NLI. There's still something romantic and great 
about rivalries in college football. It is what makes it the best week of the year, certainly from a football standpoint. So as you spend this Thanksgiving, hopefully with loved ones, I hope that you get a chance to enjoy it. For me, I have, over the years, spent my life around football. I have worked in football. So every Thanksgiving is work week for me. Unfortunately, as life has changes over time, I no longer have a family as my parents have moved on, never been married. Football has been my life. I pour myself into Thanksgiving, probably unlike anyone else. There's no family. There's only football on Thanksgiving. And partaking in all of these games and watching the emotion and the preparation is fun. I grew up in the shadows of Tiger Stadium going to LSU football games with my parents. Spent over 50 years now working in football where every Thanksgiving, again, is a work time, a passion of love, a work of love. LSU didn't have, as I mentioned, a great rivalry week except for the Tulane games of yesteryear. So they did not partake in this great rivalry weekend, which allowed me as a kid to focus on some of these other games that I mentioned. It's what makes the sport unique. It what makes the sport great. It's not without its flaws, but there's nothing quite like rivalries in college football. Hope you've enjoyed a look into some of them, how they started with their name, and help you to enjoy a little bit more of the games this weekend. A reminder, check out LandryFootball.com. Give yourself or your loved one in your family a gift of football by becoming a member of LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of our holiday savings offer on LandryFootball.com today. Also, a reminder to subscribe, like, and share the Landry Football Podcast Network on Apple on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy the games.